0: This is Melissa Libby, and welcome to Mom Treading Water. Please note that the following episode does contain explicit language and adult subject matter that may not be appropriate for younger listeners. Today, I was honored to speak with Dr. Finnege Young. Our interview is going to be one of two parts. So this is the first part. Next week, we will drop the second part. She is the author of What the F is Your Problem? Becoming an Active Worker in Healing Your Trauma. Before we do get into the interview, if this is your first time joining Mom Treading Water, welcome and thank you for being here. If you are returning, thank you for returning and sharing your time with me. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share Mom Treading Water. Each time you do that, it does improve the analytics as well as the growth of Mom Treading Water. You can also follow us on Facebook under the name of Mom Treading Water, Instagram, at Imperfect Mom Treading Water on TikTok, YouTube, and on Pinterest. Please be sure to check out our website at momtreadingwater.com and you can also join our weekly newsletter. All of those links will be in the show notes. Also, with the upcoming episode, I will include all of Dr. Finike's information. Here is part 1 of my interview with Dr. Finike Young. Hello this is Melissa Libby and welcome to Mom Treading Water. I am unbelievably honored today to have Dr. Finike Young. She's great. When you see her profile picture I was just saying this to her that it gives me the feelies because there's so much I mean obviously it's physically gorgeous but her love and her joy and I just want to just said to her I'm like be my friend because I just that beautiful feeling of it so we need way more of that in the world today. But um, we're gonna welcome Dr. Finike Young. She is the author of What the F is Your Problem? Becoming an Active Worker in Healing Your Trauma. And today she's gonna talk to us about trauma and her
1: experiences. Um, Dr. Finike, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I'm very excited too. So before we start, can you please share
0: who you met recently? this past week.
1: I'm so excited for you. <laughs> so this past weekend, I went to an event, the Atlanta Women's Expo, um, here and there, it was filled with stars, filled with celebrities and, um, some just great people that weren't stars, but, um, I had the opportunity to give my book to singer Monica and, um, also Fantasia, uh, actress Kim Fields. Uh, who also now has a business of her own and she was actually there with the booth. Yeah. Nice. Um, senior Tamika Scott from escape, um, who also has a business now and, um, Molly Hopkins from, um, I think she was on 90 day fiance, uh, who also has a business. So it was nice. also great to, uh, of course, you know, interact with them and they were all just really receptive and lovely and hugging. And it was great. Um, But it was also great to see them have their own businesses and their own setup um, at the event as well. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they're regular people also, you know, so.
0: That's great. I love that. I would be like, I would be like, please sing from The Color Purple and now. (laughs) She probably gets that all the time. Folks who don't follow theater, um,
1: Fantasia was in The Color Purple on Broadway. Um, She's going to be in the movie too. There's a movie coming out um, yeah, they're doing a movie oh. and she's going to be in it as well. Yeah. Um, she was actually there promoting her new book with her husband.
0: Nice. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. That's exciting. You got to meet her and I now I'm very excited for that movie. It's yeah, there, no too. one's ever read the <laughs> book. It's by Alice Walker. It's an, an amazing, amazing yep. story. It's yeah. It, 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 I think it almost borders on life-changing to be honest, but oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it really is. Definitely. So, where today you're going to be talking about trauma. Mm-hmm. And I guess before we start getting into your experiences, can you define actually what is trauma?
1: So I, m- my definition of trauma is a little different from, you know, what someone else may see if they go in the dictionary or um, even if they ask someone else. So the way that I define trauma is anything that alters your um your perception in a negative way um, of yourself or someone else or an experience. And so what I mean by that is that can be something that someone says to you, that can be something that you see, that can be something that you hear, um, and it can be something that you experience, you know, or go through. I think that in the past, trauma has been made to be something that has to be something big and horrific. Um, but the reality of the situation is, you know, I grew up in a household where there was um some verbal abuse and my mom was emotionally avoidant um towards us. And so, you know, she would say things. And my sister to this day still, you know, can't recount uh, like all of the negative things that my mom has said to her, from you know, you're you're stupid to, you know, you're ugly. Like she still holds on to that stuff. Um, And so, you know, that's why I define it the way that I do, because I don't think it has to be something that is, you know, truly, you know, horrific or large or, you know, something so life shattering, you know, to that point. So.
0: No, I think that's a, that's a really interesting perception of that because sometimes I I see your point, you know, I, I have something in my head that happened when I mean I remember always hearing if you lost 20 pounds you'd look really good I mean I still hear that even like I feel like I've gained a couple of pounds and that is all I hear in my head is because mm-hmm. I'm not losing that 20 pounds now I don't look good
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. well, that makes me feel like I'm not completely losing it so thank yeah. you thank you no. for sharing that <laughs> um, so do, do you mind talking a little bit more about your, your own childhood drama I mean whatever you're comfortable disclosing
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm an open book. So I, (laughs) um, I disclose a lot about it in my book and, you know, the trauma that I remember, you know, started around the age four. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York in the eighties, a crack, crack epidemic and high violence during that time. And, you know, it's a different Brooklyn now, Um, But, you know, growing up or at least during that time, it was, you know, we were exposed to a lot of things that most children were not exposed to. And I just remember, you know, seeing someone get murdered in front of our building. um, And, you know, the man was like outside and someone like walked up to him and just like shot him in the head. And of course, I think now, you know, it was probably drug related looking back. Um, but seeing that, and then, um, my father, when he was alive, he was very aggressive towards my mom. You know, he, um, I remember him pulling up in his car and he didn't live with us, but I remember him coming to see me and I pulled away from my mom and started running towards him while he was parked across the street and it was a very busy street and, I remember him like, like going off on her, you know, like, like, like she let me, you know, go when the reality was, I saw him, got excited, pulled away Mm -hmm. and, you know, ran towards him. And I was a child, so I didn't think about the cars and all that. So, you know, but that I remember him being like physically assaulting her, um, in front of us, um, in the house. And I remember feeling like I wanted to help her, but also feeling powerless, you know, in that moment, um, just because I was a child, Um, not wanting him to hurt her. And I remember a time when I, my dad was a butcher and back then they had the meat district in New York and he worked there as a butcher. And I remember, seeing him physically assault her and then reaching for this knife that he had bought my mom and it was like a really thick knife. It was one of the the butcher knives. Um and so you know I remember grabbing it and my sister, who's four years older than me, grabbing it from me and me leaving the house uh, because at that point it was like, well, I don't know what to do. And we had some stairs outside of our apartment. Um, I grew up in a brownstone. It was a two-story brownstone. So there was an apartment upstairs and an apartment. Um, downstairs. And we lived in the one downstairs. And I remember sitting on the stairs that went up to my neighbor's house and my dad come out the house and him, you know, coming over to me, he's like, I'm coming back to get you. And so I'm looking back now, assuming that that's what the fight was about. You know, he was trying to get me and my mom was like, no, um, or he was trying to take me from her. And she was like, no. And when he left, you know, he yelled up to her, like, you know, I'm coming back to get my daughter and I'm going to kill you, bitch, and that other bitch. And so the other bitch <laughs> was my brother's mother. And my mom, I remember my mom and my brother's um, mother having built this alliance. What started off with them not necessarily, you know, caring for each other, mm-hmm. um, turned into them building this alliance. And I remember my mom calling her, and telling her like, Hey, he just left here. And, you know, he's probably on his way to your house. So the next day, um, I go to school, I get up, go to school. My sister goes to school. Uh, we never, I don't remember ever talking about, you know, that like the, the abuse or anything and go to school. And then I go to my grandmother's house. Um, My mom is there, which she's never there (laughs) because she was working and she's there this time. And she calls me in the kitchen when I come in the door and she tells me, you know, your dad died. And when they found him, he had had a heart attack on this, on the stairs, um, leaving his apartment and he had a gun on him. And so I'm going to assume, um, that he was planning to you know hurt her and planning to hurt my brother's mom and he had a heart attack so I I think I carried a lot of guilt for one um and I also carried I think a lot of feelings of abandonment like because his last words to me were, I'm coming back to get you um and of course then he passed away but I think the guilt for me was I always felt like well my mom would have never even been in that situation if I wasn't, you know, born. Um, Of course, now, you know, I realize that that wasn't my fault, you know, and it wasn't my, my issue. Um, But as a child, you know, the way that people and especially children, the way that they process stuff, like I look, I look at my three-year-old now, you know, the way that he processes stuff is mommy's mad at me. If mommy tells me I can't, you know, do something that I want to do. And I'm like, no, I'm not mad at you. (laughs) You just just can't do it. (laughs) I still love you, but but you just can't do it. Um, but that's the way he processes stuff. So I have to have like conversations with him, you know? Um, and I have to say to him, you know, it's a lot of communication in my household. Um, even with the three-year-old where I'm like okay well how are you feeling you know he'll say to me you know I'm mad at you and I'm like okay well, why are you mad at mommy um, because you won't let me you know get a go-go squeeze or something mm-hmm. um, and I'm like okay that's fine you can be mad at mommy but um, you know you still have to do what mommy asks you to do you know so there was never a conversation. There was never processing. There was never a, you know, let's go to therapy. There was never, you know, none of that occurred. And I remember going to school. I was in the first grade. I remember going to school. And back then we had the desk. I don't know if kids still have the desk where you can put stuff inside. Oh yeah, the ones that flip up. No, these the ones- didn't flip up. They were just open and and you could like stick stuff in them. Oh,
0: okay.
1: But I remember going to school and i was wearing glasses and i remember taking my glasses off and putting my head down and like crying in class and i remember the kids around me you know like telling the teacher like like she's crying or you know and the teacher apparently knew that my dad had passed away and so she just kind of like kept going um And then she talked to me, you know, later about it. Like, I remember that, but you know, it was like, go to school and like, just, you know, continue the, like nothing (laughs) happened, (laughs) continue the schedule. Right. Um, And my mom, you know, looking back now, of course, realizing that one of her coping um, methods were, was to go to work. And I think you know, for a lot of us, that's what we do. You know, it's like, if I just work, if I, you know, make more money, you know, if I occupy my time, I don't have to think about what's really happening in my life. I don't really have to focus on it. Right. So it's a trauma response, you know, that whole avoidance piece of having to deal with, you know, what's really going on and we do it in so many different ways, you know, we do it with work, we do it with relationships, we do it with, you know, those people that can't be single, you know, it's a trauma response. Um, And it's the fact that, you know, they don't want to spend that time by themselves to really, you know, see or get to know, like, what's, you know, what's really happening inside. So we have like all these trauma responses that we do, um, that we don't even think about. And we're just kind of like in it. And then it becomes like a loop, you know, because you never, you never jump off the hamster wheel, you know, to really dig into it and to really figure out, you know, what's going on. Um, And then it just becomes a part of, you know, the day to day. Um, and, And then before you even know, you know, you've done it for 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, and you're still in the same place that you were when you started.
0: Did your parents, did they, in their, when they were growing up, did they have a history of domestic violence or verbal abuse? Do you know?
1: So what I do know is um, my father's household, from what my aunt shared with me, was that because my grandparents, they passed away when I was uh, younger. So I never really had the chance to really, you know, ask them at that age. I don't think I even thought about asking them, but (laughs) What my aunt shared with me was that my grandmother, my grandfather would get into it as far as like arguments. She never said that there was any physical, you know, violence, um, in the home. Um, my grandmother had diabetes and, her, um, one of her feet, uh, had been amputated. I remember that. So my grandfather played a key role in getting her places and, doing things for her and, you know, really like taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, they slept in two different bedrooms and, um, but they they were together. Um, what I do know is my dad couldn't even go home. So he couldn't go visit my grandparents um, because um, the sheriff <laughs> would be there to escort him out of town. Um, I know that he played football growing up my, him and my uncle both played football. My uncle wound up going to the military and getting a, uh, I think he got a football scholarship to go to school. Mm -hmm. I think my dad was a little more, um, uh, aggressive (laughs) and, and, (laughs) um, because he you know, my brothers, they tell me stories, I'm I'm the baby. So my brothers have told me stories about, you know, how he was and, you know, things that he did. And there's a story that their mother um, said that she didn't want, uh, she didn't want to be with him anymore. And he had purchased some furniture for her. And he told her, that's fine. I want the furniture back. That I bought for you, and he took the furniture outside. Um, their apartment is on the first floor of their building, and he took the furniture outside and like broke the furniture. Pretty much, like,
0: yeah.
1: like didn't want it, but you know, just was very you know spiteful and mean because um, that's to me that's just downright just mean.
0: Yeah,
1: you know. Um, But to his children, like to us, my dad was very, um, you know, we would go places. I remember one time we went to Toys R Us and it's me and my two brothers and him. And I just remember, you know, being on his shoulders and like my feet never touching the ground. Um, I remember, you know, when we would spend a night at his house, we would all, all three of us would sleep in the bed mm-hmm. and he would sleep on the floor and like, he would like play games with us while he was like laying on the floor. So to his children, he was very, you know, very loving, very, um, very affectionate, very overprotective of us, very, you know, just caring, um, for the kids. You know, I remember my sister, dad wasn't present. He bought my sister a bike, um, mm-hmm. I remember, so to us, he was very, to, to the children, um, my brothers, they have two brothers and he took care of you know them, his their brothers as well. So to the ch- children, very loving, you know, my dad would come and, you know, tell me to pick a pocket, you know, like pick a pocket and whatever was in that pocket, I could like have the money that was in that pocket. So I used to nice. always like try to pick like the biggest pocket, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he had bought me like this big piggy bank. It was like a dog, and the dog was like super big. Um, and I would like put the money inside of the piggy bank. Um, and he never carried change. He always carried um fives and up, like he never carried singles. He was very Particular. And it's amazing because my brother, uh, my brother is 13 months older than me. So when my dad died, he was seven. But my brother is so much like him, like so much like him. Um, I remember us going somewhere, and uh, my brother had on like a white shirt, and he had like spilled something on his white shirt. And he's like, We have to go buy a shirt. And I was like, What? And he's like, We have to go buy me another shirt. I was like, What? <laughs> like, that's <insane. laughs> That's insane. (laughs) We're going somewhere. What are you talking about? But (laughs) my dad was the same way, you know, very, very like pristine and very, you know, clean, extremely Mm -hmm. clean, extremely particular. Um, So it's amazing just to see, you know, although he wasn't there throughout our whole childhood, you know, we all have these qualities from him and um yeah so it's it's amazing
0: <laughs> Did you, because I mean you're you're married right I had an opportunity yeah. to quickly meet your husband um and you have a son and and it sounds like your relationship with your husband I mean no one ever knows but is it doesn't sound like it's that like it's very stable and
1: yeah so <laughs> so um i met my husband in 2017 and when we met he was very i was very intentional with meeting him and what i mean by that and and vice versa what i mean by that is i a year and think 3 days before we met i had made this decision that i wanted to attract like the person for me. Like I was very intentional. I was very like, I don't want anything else, but that person. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I thought it was like a feeling maybe like when I met that person, I would know, right. Like it would be a feeling I would just know, right. Like my inner guidance system would just let me know, like, this is your person. And so for the time before, cause this is actually my second marriage. Mm-hmm. And so my first marriage was lasted like 10 months, um, was a disaster, but it was a great thing. Right. Uh, and I'm super grateful that I, that I got married that first time because it brought up so much about me that I was like, Oh no, I got changed this. And what it brought up was I, my first marriage, I had married into, I had married someone and put myself in a situation that required me to be a caregiver and a therapist, even at home. Mm -hmm. And after doing therapy all day, you know, by the time I got home, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do therapy. I don't want to therapize you. Right. That's fair. As a wife, like I want to be a wife and I want to like not do this. Right. And it taught me something that I didn't have boundaries, right? And it was like, oh girl, oh girl, you gotta get some boundaries, right? <laughs> you gotta get some wow. boundaries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta get some boundaries. And it, that relationship taught me to not only have boundaries with him, but with my family. Like I, because, and that's where the guilt comes in, right? So because of that guilt that I had from childhood, I had taken on this role of protector and I was the one that, you know, went to college and got my doctorate and did all that. And so I felt like I'm responsible for everyone else. You know, even when it came to my mom, I felt like I got to take care of her. I got to take care of my sister. My sister had, um, two kids, um, her first child when she was 17, about to be 18. And, you know, I had gotten a scholarship to go to this boarding school for high school and it was a full scholarship would have been great for me and I turned it down and like my mom took me to Connecticut to see it and everything and I turned it down and I turned it down because my sister had just had my niece and I was like she's gonna need my help and so you know at 13 those were the decisions that I was making and my mom was like I want you to go to this school and I was like no like my sister's gonna need my help and so she respected my decision Um, but I was making really big decisions at a young age, you know, and that was just my role, you know, that was the role that I played in my family. And so that kind of continued for a long time. And so when I met my first husband, it was in place, you know, that thinking was in place, but he, I learned so much in that relationship because it was horrible. Um, he was addicted to drugs. He was not violent towards me but he was very verbally like abusive and he required a lot and I realized I don't want I don't want to do this I'm tired of taking care of people like I don't want to do this and so I drew those boundaries hard right my sister had had that first niece but then she also had a baby two years later and so I co-parented them like we raised those two girls and my after my first husband, right, I realized like, y'all are now grown and I I can't do this with anymore. I need to now take care of me. So I didn't really start taking care of me until about like 2015. And during that time that, you know, I cleaned out, um, I bought a house and I intentionally had three bedrooms. I intentionally did not make a guest bedroom. I turned one room into an office and I turned one room into a workout room. Good for you. And I said, if anyone comes to stay, they can't stay for long because it's going to be uncomfortable because I didn't want guests and I wanted my house to be about me and I wanted it for me. Right. And so I just became like really like selfish, but in a great way. Um, And so I really started to get like super intentional about me and the things I did in my routine and, and and what I didn't want to do and saying no, right. And drawing those boundaries. So fast forward, um, I get to a place where I'm like, I think I'm ready for my person. Right. And I do like this huge, like I wrote, I wrote my list a year before and I'm like reading the list and focused on the list and I'm dating guys. And I'm like, eh, this isn't it. He's cool. And he's nice. And he's cute. Um, even sometimes, you know, the sex is good, but this is, this isn't it, right? Yeah. And uh, three days before I actually meet my husband, I do like this big purge. So I like I'm in the house. I'm like throwing like all types of stuff out. Like <laughs> <laughs> I throw out so much that half of my closet is clear. Like I clear out like half wow. of my my closet, and it's a walk-in closet. Like I have a good size closet, and I like throw like all types of stuff out. And then like I clean out, start cleaning out my drawers and a whole like drawer. Um, two drawers were empty. Like that's how much stuff I got rid of. And I'm like throwing out appliances and I'm th- just stuff, right? I'm like stuff that I don't, ugh, like is no longer me. Mm-hmm. And three days later, I go to this party and it's my friend's party. And I go and I'm tired. Cause I actually just went to a bachelorette party And then I was like, okay, now my other friend's having a party. I got to go to this party. So I go to that party and I sit on the stairs because I'm tired. I'm like, (laughs) um, and so he is sitting on the stairs and my friend brings me some jello shots and, you know, jello shots, they get stuck. So I'm using my finger to get them out. (laughs) I don't know
0: what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) I'm like, you know,
0: yes. <laughs> I, I do know.
1: <laughs> and I feel someone looking at me and I like turn, like, it's like jello shot. And I turn and he's like cracking up. Right. Cause I'm over here like digging the jello shot. Out. <laughs> so I start laughing and I'm like, don't judge me. Anyway, we start to talk and he's like, we're talking and he says, um, what do you do? And I tell him, I'm like, yeah, I was like a master Reiki practitioner. And I'm a." Like, you know, I'm a holistic therapist and this and, this and that and he says, I think my heart chakra is broken. And I say, your heart chakra is not broken. You just haven't met the right person yet for you to love and for them to love you. And I had the feeling, <laughs> I think I'm going to cry in a second. Go ahead. The, the, feeling, the feeling popped up. Right. And I had never felt the feeling. So I was like, huh, what am I feeling right now? Right. And we just start talking and it just goes like it's flowing. Right. And I could probably got to this party around like 10 before I know it. It's like one 30 in the morning. Everyone has like left. He is now transitioned from being over here to like sitting like right below me on the steps. And we're like talking and we're just like talking and we're like, okay, it's time to go. And he walks me to my car, he follows me to the highway. His phone is dead. And I was like, so he's like, call me when you get home. So I know that you made it home. So oh. I call him when I get home. And by now it's like maybe three in the morning, maybe. And I call him and we talk on the phone from like the sun came up. So it had to be like six, six thirty in the morning. And from there, we've just been stuck like together. And I, he's very gentle, but also very mannish, mannish, mm-hmm. um, but very gentle in being mannish.
0: <laughs> no, my husband's um, the same way. So I know exactly what you yeah. mean.
1: Yeah, And sets boundaries with me, but in a very loving way. Um, mm-hmm. he, I still, of course, have those trauma responses. Um, and I remember in the beginning, you know, the third day to the third day he told me that, you know, I was going to be his wife and I, it freaked me out. Right. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, (laughs) too much, too fast, too much, too fast. (laughs) So all the things, you know, all the doubts, because I grew up in a household where my mom said, oh, they just want your, you know, P-U-S-S-Y, you know, that was like her thing. Men just want your (laughs) P-U-S-S-Y. And so, you know, this man is like, I know you're my wife. And then he whips out a list and he's like, and it's like handwritten and he's like reading the list. Right. And it's, I'm like crying because I'm like everything on the list. And he's like, he's like, I know we just met like three days ago, but I feel like you are the woman on this list. Right. And the list is like, my wife will have, or my wife will blah, blah, blah. So I had a list too. It reminded me that too right that I wrote, like <laughs> a year ago <laughs> and so I like I go home and I'm like reading the list and I'm like oh my gosh like this is like freaky right
0: freaky. And I'm, I'm gonna pause you right there for one second okay. <laughs> okay I'm gonna pause our recording for one second friends all right and then we will be back in a moment thank you for listening to mom treading water today with Dr. Finike next week part two will be available to hear the continuation of this interview Dr. Finike's information will be in the show notes, as well as all the information for Mom Treading Water. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you for listening. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.